The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. time to clean house. It's time to stand up for Jesus. It's time to be absolutely unashamed of our Lord and our Master, to boldly proclaim that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now Jesus came, demonstrating His kingdom to His first disciples, by performing the wonders in Cana of Galilee, where he created the most delicious wine and served it to the wedding guests. And the master of the feast said, This is the best. Shortly after that, Jesus goes with his disciples back to Capernaum. And there he stays for a short time, and then he heads for Galilee, from Galilee to Judea, because there is the Feast of the Jews. Now we find in Matthew, the 21st chapter, and in the Gospel of John, the second chapter, what may be the same event or may be two separate events. It is the cleansing of the temple. 
It is time to clean house. And Jesus comes in in Matthew at the very end of his ministry and in John at the very beginning of his ministry. These are the two bookends of the ministry of Jesus. And his heart is for a clean house. He wants things set right. Let's look quickly at the story in Matthew 21. Jesus entered Jerusalem in verse 10. The whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? This was after the triumphal entry. The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to David, son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what the children are saying, they ask him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You have ordained praise. And he left them and went out to the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. There are some very exciting things in this story, but also some very troubling things. Jesus comes to his house, to the house of God, his father's house, and he finds that the father's house is being trashed. And we could speak quite a while today about the trashing of the house of God that is going on right now in America. I mean, I am absolutely astounded that congregations of people are raising the money and building these beautiful buildings. And then the pastor and the board decide they're going to use that facility to make money. They're going to bring in concerts and plays and extravaganzas, and they're going to charge a ticket price for God's people to come into the house that they built with their own tithe and offerings. It's time to clean house in America. It has become a house of entertainment, of shoddiness. It's become a place of pleasure and worldliness. And the result is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the rebuke for sin, the call for repentance is not heard in our land. Instead, everybody is touchy-feely. Come, we want you to know you're loved. Well, no, you're not loved. You're a child of the devil until you have repented of your sins and been born from above. And the church today is filled with people who have never been converted. And the pastors are saying, but they raise our budget. So they are concerned. One pastor of a mega church 
as I sat in his office and spoke with him, and I asked him, When was the last time you dealt honestly with sin in your congregation? He laughed and he said, Come on, Pastor. You know I can't do that. You know that if I did that, the church house would empty. People would leave in droves. I'd be fired. The church would collapse. He said, I have a a church business to run here. I was stunned, even though I knew that was true. Tears began to come down my face. I said, Pastor, you're a CEO, aren't you? And he was. He was a hireling. He was making more than $100,000 a year. His life was good, as long as he didn't touch sin. Jesus came in, he made a whip, and he began to overturn the tables of the money changers. He'd walk into our foyers, and he'd begin to turn over the tables with all the merchandise for sale. He would run the concerts out. He would demand that the house become now a house of prayer. But today, most churches in America don't even have a prayer meeting. They don't have a time for prayer. I went to Times Square Church, New York City, when my beloved pastor and father in the faith was there, David Wilkerson, He invited me to come on the platform with him. He said, I want you to see something tonight, Ray. And I watched as that great sanctuary was packed with people. And he went to the mic. And he said, it's time for us to pray. And here's what I want you to pray about. And oh, they lifted up their voices in shouts before the Almighty God as that congregation pleaded with Jesus for the city of New York. They pleaded that the abortions would stop. They pleaded for movie actors and actresses. They pleaded for salvation for the homeless. They pleaded for Jesus to come and move in power in the alcoholics and the and the druggies. The front two rows of that sanctuary were filled with homeless men and women. They were reserved for people who were on drugs. They were reserved for sinners who were coming to be saved and set free. Oh, we prayed for them that night. And something happened there I've never seen happen in a church before. It was like waves of the Holy Spirit moving over that congregation as we cried out to the Lord for the lost and the dying. He also called us to pray in repentance for any sin we might be walking in. He was very sober with that congregation as we prayed. He didn't preach a sermon that night. All we did was pray. I remember another prayer meeting I went to in Weimar, Switzerland, 
Francis Schaeffer had a place called Le Brie, the Fellowship. And I went to study under Francis Schaeffer while he was still alive. I spent a month there. The first night, Oz Guinness was to lead a prayer meeting. I went expecting him to preach. He stood up in a living room that was in a beautiful chalet, but every inch of space was taken up. And he stood up in his little space in one corner of that room. And he said, let us pray. And oh, we went to prayer. These two examples are so powerful in my mind and my heart. It is time for God's people to lift up the name of Jesus. It's time for us to pray, to earnestly search after Jesus Christ. He overturned the tables of the money changers, the benches. Can you hear the sound of the money as it strikes that tile floor or that stone floor? He said, get these doves out of here, and he drove the cattle out. It's time for us to clean house. It's time to clean God's house. It's time to clean God's house of the hireling pastors and the wicked people who come for entertainment instead of for repentance and righteousness to be born from above and transformed into the likeness of Jesus. It's time in America. We don't have much time left. Great judgments are about to fall upon this nation. They're already falling if you have eyes to see. As the croplands of America, the breadbasket of America is being decimated in California, in Iowa, in Indiana. Famine, pestilence, death is coming upon America. Don't sit back and be comfortable. It's time to repent. It's time to get clean with Jesus. We've got to turn aside from this. Jesus came cleaning out the temple. We need to clean the temple out. Well, then we come to the book of John. almost time for the Jewish Passover. Verse 13, this is John 2, verse 14. In the temple courts he found men selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. He made a whip out of cords and he drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here! How dare you turn my father's house into a market! Now, John does not include a beautiful part of Matthew's story. Matthew tells the story that after the house is cleaned, then the sinners came to be ministered to. The children came and shouted praise. The sick came and were healed. 
The church is not for entertainment. The church is for the sick and the dying. The church is for the children. The church is the place where we're to gather in the name of Jesus Christ and pray. The church is a people, a righteous people, a godly people, a people who will stand up against the wickedness of the culture and not plunge into the dissipation of our age of entertainment and wickedness. It's time to repent. After Jesus died, and this will bring us into a much deeper meaning of these two stories, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Psalm 69, 9. The Lord God of heaven wants us to be consumed with zeal for the house of our God. It is not a bus station where people go in, grab something, and then take the ride out. No, the church is the destination. The church is the people of God. Jesus is the head of the church. Read carefully the book of Ephesians. The church is not some place where we go to get some emotional high. The church is a place where we go to repent, to get right with God, to be cleansed, to be released from every demonic attack. Some of you today have such a spirit of heaviness upon you. You're boldly trying to move forward your body probably hurts. Your mind is being attacked by the devil with words of discouragement, and you're toughing it out. Oh, my brother, my sister, God wants to remove the spirit of heaviness from you and give to you a spirit of joy. He wants to come with healing in his wings, but that will require that you clean house and that you pray that you turn with all your heart and you are consumed for the house of God. You're consumed for Jesus. I need to stop just a moment. I need to pray for some of you. I'm just seeing in my spirit. Some of you are so heavy burdened today, you, you're having a hard time even hearing this message. Could I pray for you? Would you just lift your hands up toward whatever you're listening to? Or lift your hands up to heaven? Lord Jesus, I break this spirit of heaviness in the name of Jesus. I command it to go in the name of Jesus. For release of joy in my brothers and sisters' hearts. Regardless of what their circumstances are, Jesus, I lift you up on high and praise and worship you, and I rejoice in you this day. Lord, would you break that spirit of heaviness in their hearts? Would you give them a hope? Would you would you ignite a fire in their mind and in their heart to trust you and to cry out to you and to pray? 
to say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, break this power of pain in my heart and in my body. Come with healing in your wings. Lord, after you cast them out of the temple, then those with anguish and pain came to you and you healed them. I'm standing by faith that right now you are moving with healing. Healing for body, mind, and soul. And the spirit of heaviness and discouragement, depression, it has to go now in the name of Jesus. Almighty God, I know you're moving right now. I sense your spirit moving in power right now. You're so present in this studio, Lord. Thank you. I pray right now for a total release in the hearts of my brothers and sisters. I ask that you take the spirit of heaviness and replace it with the spirit of joy. Explosive joy. Instead of the pain of their body, would you come with healing and restoration? Lord, thank you. I trust you're doing it right now in the name of Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. This coming Friday, I'm going to be live on this broadcast. And I'm going to open the phone lines. And I'm going to invite you to call with testimonies. I'll also be praying for those who ask for prayer. Would you call on Friday during this one to two time frame? And I will be more than happy to pray with you. Jesus is our deliverer. He is awesome. He is wonderful. He is our Lord and our Savior. And I just lift Jesus up today. Mighty is his name. The priests ran from Jesus and his whip. But the sick came to him. The down and outers came to him. The depressed came to him. Those who needed his touch came close to Jesus. And so it needs to be today. The Pharisees and the wicked priests, pastors, need to be chased out by the Holy Spirit. And something new needs to begin to happen in their hearts or in their churches. Now, there's something else that happens here. And now it's going to go much deeper. What miraculous sign, they said, can you show us to prove your authority to do this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it up again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, the disciples recalled what he had said, and then they believed the scripture 
and the words that Jesus had spoken. And while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw his miraculous signs and believed in him. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. He knew the uncleanness of man's heart. He knew how we would try to twist and turn to our own advantage what he was doing and what he was saying. He would not entrust himself to them because even though they were saying, yes, this is Jesus, they had not been born from above. The Holy Spirit had not been given. They were unwilling to leave everything and follow him. His disciples, on the other hand, had left everything and were following him. And so Jesus was entrusting himself with them because they were in the process of repenting and turning and being transformed into his likeness. But the common man, just blowing by for the entertainment of the time and saying, whoa, look at that healing. Wow, look at that. He would not entrust himself to them. Now there's something even deeper here. He's saying that the real temple is his body. And the real temple is your body. And if you look with me at 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, I'll begin reading with verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two shall become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And now this is the key part of this message. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So if Jesus were to come again right now, and he were to come to your temple, would he say this temple needs to be cleaned out? Would he say, with a whip. Get these things out of your life. Are the things that the Holy Spirit has told you to remove from your heart, but you have not removed them 
You have not obeyed the prompting of the Holy Spirit to turn aside from that wickedness until finally your conscience has been so seared that you don't even think about it anymore. You just quickly join in with all of the wickedness of the entertainment of our day and the lust for things and the love of money and the bitterness and the anger and the lifestyle. You don't even hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you anymore. If Jesus were to come to your temple, would he say you have joined yourself to a prostitute? In the Old Testament, prostitute was not just a woman. It was anything that took the place of the Lord God of heaven. Would he say you have prostituted yourself for money? Would he say you have prostituted yourself lusting after the things of this world, the security of this world. And you don't have time to be a part of the church, the real church, the place with people who have been cleansed and cleaned and who enter into deep prayer and intercession, who cry aloud, who cry aloud, for the presence of Jesus, who lift Jesus high, who lift him up, who worship him, who honor him. Are you so caught in your own stuff, in your own pain, in your own goals, in your own ambitions? Are you so caught that you have no time to let Jesus cleanse your temple? I'm telling you, Jesus wants to come today and cleanse your temple even as much as he wanted to come to the temple in Jerusalem and cleanse it. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Have you grieved him? Does he speak with you? Some people say, God never speaks to me. And I say, do you know why God doesn't speak to you? No, why? Because you're too far away from God to hear him if he did speak. You must give up everything and seek after him with all of your heart. You must lift him up in praise. You must have the zeal of God in your heart for the presence of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you're not hearing God talk, it's because you're too busy. Your mind has been seared with everything else. You're not spending those hours praying and reading, so God's not speaking to you. You're not spending the time meditating upon his word. I'll tell you how this message came today. It came as I sat before the Lord, and I listened and I read the word, and he prompted me, this is what you're to say. I said, Lord, thank you. I'll speak it. The word of God comes to us as we wait before him. As we meditate on the word. As we lift up our hearts to him. As we obey his commands to us. 
he'll whisper his command very softly. And if you blow him off, you've grieved the Spirit of God, and he'll leave. comes very softly. You'll miss him if you're not careful. Now, I want to take this one step further. In the third chapter, we've talked about Nicodemus, but I want to pick a very specific part of this. In verse 12, this is John, the third chapter, verse 12. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. It's for us to lift up Jesus. But I want to go to that story of the snake. There are some very important and deep lessons we need to learn from that story. The story is found in Numbers chapter 21. Now the context is that Aaron and Miriam have both just died. And they have grieved for them. First, Miriam died, and now Aaron has died. His son, Eliezer, has become the high priest. Moses removed Aaron's garments while he was yet alive and put them on his son, Eliezer. And Aaron was then gathered to his people. He died on that mountain. Now, in chapter 21, we find the people of God. This is the second generation. This is, these are the children of those who died in the desert. And they're traveling, and they're very impatient, and they want to get to the promised land. But they were not allowed to go through Edom. Eden, Edom. Uh, that is, the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, would not allow the children of Israel to cross their property. They were two million strong, and they were afraid they would ravage the country. So they had to go a long distance to go around the nation of Edom. And as they're along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, it looks like they're going back where they came from. And the people grow very impatient on the way. And they begin to speak against God and against Moses. They begin to say, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this desert? It looks like they're going to be stuck once more in the desert. They are disappointed. They are angry. They are impatient. 
They say there is no bread. That's not true. The manna was still falling. There is no water. That's not true. God kept providing water for them. They said, we detest this miserable food, referencing manna. The Lord was very upset by their arrogant complaining against him. So the scriptures say in verse 6, Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. Then the people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole, and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, and he put it up on a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake lived. A strange story. I want to tell you some of the history, though, of what happened afterwards. After the children of Israel finally made it into the promised land, this bronze snake was an heirloom of Moses' day. And by the time Hezekiah, a righteous and good man, became king of Israel, of Judah, they'd brought this snake out, set it up on the pole, and the children of Israel were actually coming before that bronze snake and offering incense and prayers. And it made God very, very angry. So Hezekiah comes, and he breaks the snake up in pieces and destroys it. Because he knows this snake is unclean. Now, why would Jesus be represented by a snake? Well, he's not. He's not. This snake that was lifted up for healing had a very simple explanation. And that is that the snake represented sin, the devil, uncleanness. And by using that snake, God was saying, look, come and look at who you have become. You have become a worshiper of the devil. You were unclean like this serpent. He did that to call them to repentance. He wanted the children of Israel to repent for their wickedness in complaining against God, in accusing Moses, in hating the food, in being so impatient with God. 
That was gross sin against the Most High God who had carried them in his arms across this burning desert with a cloud of air conditioning by day and a pillar of fire by night to light their camp, offering them heaven's finest nutritionally balanced food as bread. Tons of it every morning. And then when the hot sun came up, it melted away, and there was no waste. This was the Lord. And they looked at this serpent, and they were healed, because when they looked at the serpent, they had to confess the wickedness of their hearts. They had to acknowledge their sin. This snake did not heal them. What healed them was the acknowledgement of their sin. And then the Lord God of heaven healed them. The snake was just a symbol being lifted up to say, Look at what you have become. What would Jesus lift up before you today to say, Look, this is what you have become. You have become unclean. It's time to clean house. It's time to lift up Jesus. It's time to acknowledge what we have done, our laziness, our slowness of heart, our lust after the things of this world, our, our gluttony. It's time to acknowledge our sin. That's what this snake was saying to the people of Israel. Acknowledge your sin. And then Jesus comes in John, the third chapter. And he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. in him that is eternal life in him there's no eternal life outside of jesus and there's no sin allowed in jesus you can't be in sin and in jesus you have to clean house you have to look at that serpent that unclean wicked serpent hanging made of bronze on that pole and recognize that's who i am I'm an unclean man. I'm an unclean woman. It's time to clean house. To get right with Jesus. And we get right with Jesus by looking at him. By gazing upon Jesus in all of his beauty, in all of his anguish on the cross. It is looking at our Savior Jesus and seeing the price he had to pay for your sin and for mine. It's time to lift up Jesus. It's time to acknowledge our sin. Not to play games with God. Not to continue living our lives casually before Him. Oh, do you hear me today? Are you willing to get right with Jesus? 
He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Salvation is always the act of God, but it is ours to respond to the calling of the Holy Spirit and see first that snake and understand the wickedness of our heart as we look to Jesus and there we begin to confess our sins. John the Baptist called the children of Israel to confess their sins and be baptized. Jesus is calling for the same thing in your life. He's calling you to stop pretending, to stop lying, to stop the lukewarm approach, but to be filled with zeal for the house of God, to be filled with eagerness to be in the presence of Almighty God, that the spirit of heaviness could be utterly broken from our hearts, that the spirit of rebellion could be utterly broken from our hearts, that hardness and judgments and accusations, lying and stealing, could be broken from our hearts. That hatred for each other could be removed from our hearts. Do you hate anyone today? Is your heart filled with compassion and mercy? for everyone or just those who treat you nicely how do you respond to the one who steals from you there's only one biblical answer to that and that is to say God bless you not to bite not to kill not to curse, but to say, God bless you. Everyone who does evil hates the light. This is verse 20, John three twenty. Everyone who does evil hates the light. The word evil means hurtful, diseased, essential character. Everyone who does evil, sin is evil. So everyone who sins hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what he has done has been done through God. Can you imagine, as one of the children of Israel steps out of their tent, their leg is struck by one of these poison serpents. They shake it off. They know the bite of that serpent 
will kill them. But they say, I'm not going to go look at that serpent, that bronze serpent hanging there outside the camp. I'm not going to acknowledge that I've been bitten by the serpent. Yes, I've done dumb things, but I'm not going to acknowledge those dumb things. Yes, I've complained against God, but I'm not going to acknowledge that. As their leg begins to swell, and the poison begins to course through their body like fire. Some of you are stubbornly resisting the presence of God. You are stubbornly clinging to your rituals and your religion, which is dead. There is no power in the religion or the rituals. The power is in the one who hung on the cross. So you can see this man taking a sharp knife, cutting his leg where he was bitten and trying to squeeze the poison out. Doesn't help. He's he's dying. If you don't repent, the fire of sin will course through your body and you will die. You cannot be saved in your sin. You can only be saved from your sin. And that means you have to go look at that serpent and all of the shame and acknowledge your sin. And then turn and look full in the face of the crucified Lord. And you will be healed. And the sin will be removed from you by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you will be sanctified and made holy. And you will live and your heart will be filled with joy. And you will no longer carry the heaviness of sin. It will be broken in your life. It is time, my brother, my sister, it is time to lift Jesus up. It is time to repent of our sin and get right with Jesus. Let me pray for you, please. Lord, in this last moments of this broadcast, I'm coming by faith, and I'm lifting up the name of Jesus over Washington, D.C., and I'm asking that every sinner who acknowledges that they are sinners would look at the filthiness of their sin and say, I can't stand this anymore. I've got to be washed in the blood. I've got to be made clean. I've got to be released from the bondage of this wickedness. Lord, would you come now? In mighty power, would you come now? And would you let that person see your face? And would you call them out of the cave of death? Would you call them out of the misery and the hurt and the brokenness? 
for you are a God who forgives. You are a God who restores. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. But you can't. We can't be in you, Jesus, and be in the devil. I'm asking for release. I'm asking for healing. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Would you forward this message to someone who needs it? And would you subscribe to this YouTube channel, National Prayer Chapel, or Pastor Ray Greenlee? It'll take you to that YouTube channel. It's streaming live now, and it will stream on YouTube this evening as YouTube processes it and puts it up. I'm eager to hear from you, and I'm so grateful for those of you that I've just heard from. One precious woman sent a check for $7 and said, don't bother sending me fundraising letters because I don't have any more money. I'm too much in debt. Well, you know what? We don't send fundraising letters to anybody. We just, if we can, send a thank you note. We're still just over $1,500 short for this month's radio bill. Would you go online and give as the Holy Spirit calls you at nationalprayerchapel.com? Or would you write to me and, and mail your gift for this month to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I'm Ray Greenley. I love you, my brother and sister. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.